Well, everyone, we uh, move into a time of teaching out of the scriptures. And uh, today, we are going to be in the Bible in the New Testament, in the uh, book of Hebrews. It's near the very back of the Bible. You can see by the thickness how far back it is here on my Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, the very last chapter in the book of Hebrews. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's fine because we'll have it up on the screen. Uh, but if, or if you have an app, if you want to bring it up or on an iPad or something like that, it's great. But Hebrews chapter 13. Now, just as a sort of a side note, Hebrews is an interesting book uh, in the Bible and particularly in the New Testament because Hebrews is not a letter. And as a matter of fact, we actually don't know who wrote it. It's not Paul, and it's not an epistle, the fancy word for letter. It's really a sermon that sort of was copied down and handed around. And it's always interesting in any, this is a little side note, a side side note. It's always interesting on the last chapters often in the New Testament in these letters and books because uh, scholars debate this sort of thing. Like, were they running out of paper? Because near the end, they get real pithy and real punchy. They just start like jamming things in. Okay, I don't have time to talk about this, but this is, what, this is what you guys need to do. And that's what we have here in Hebrews chapter 13. It starts getting real punchy and real succinct and real like I'm running out of ink or paper or something like that. And so that's what you find here. So here's what we have. Hebrews 13, verse 1. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? There it is. Six short verses, very punchy. They're not suggestions. They're instructions. They're challenges. They're commands. They're do this, not, hey, I got an idea. It's like this is what the author wants people to do in the church. And frankly, I think it's quite an affront. It's pretty offensive. It's like in your face. It's that sort, especially here, you know, some 18 or 1900 years later, you know, in our nice, really free love, 1960s hippie, uh, you know, culture, leftover hippie culture, by the way. And here we are in the 21st century, and this sort of affronts our free thinking, our free choice, our choose your own lifestyle, freedom, all of that thing. Here's this stuff just crashing in and telling what's sin and what isn't and what you ought to do and what you shouldn't do. And it's love we're talking about these days, and particularly hospitality, and that's where this verse comes up. The first, under, first church understood love in a very serious, intentional, intense way. It was not a feeling. It was very practiced. Love was very, very literal, and it was very, very challenging. Look again at this challenging passage and notice how radical the church's love is supposed to be. And I'm going to break it down into four features. You might come up with five, but I think there's about four things here that are being instructed. Number one, show hospitality to strangers. And there's your stranger danger flag is up there right away. 
You know, like, really? I don't think strangers are safe. Like, well, show them love anyway. Why? Because some may be angels. Okay. In other words, at least see everyone with spiritual eyesight. At least everyone around you is a creation of God. Everyone is a child of God. Some further away and some closer. At least you should see everyone with spiritual eyes. And who knows? Some may be angels unaware. It's that intense of a thing. That's some pretty radical love. Number two. Some Christians are already imprisoned for their faith during this time. By the Roman government and others. Some are even being tortured. This is about 80 uh, AD. And so even in this early time, they're already beginning to be tortured. Next couple of hundred years, up until about 313, the torture is really going to get bad for Christians in the Roman Empire. You see, if you were in Roman prison during this time, there was no meal program. Nobody came by and said, are you warm enough? You were thrown into a dungeon to die. If you did not have friends bringing you food, clothing, blankets, medicine, whatever else you needed, it's pretty easy on the Romans. They're like, you're dead, you're gone. Scrape them off, put the next one in. So this is pretty literal here for the early church. Act like you're being tortured as well. If you think you ought to, if you were in prison, what would you want? Oh, okay. Bind up their wounds. So that's number two. Number three. Marriage is a holy union, a holy covenant. Adultery and fornication are contrary to the marriage covenant. And in an age, in our age of free love, with our current low view of marriage, and with the voice of the sex, sexual revolution of free love 1960 still ringing in our ears, this is a pretty radical affront of approach. It's saying marriage is a covenant instilled by God. Fourth. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Hasn't this always been true? That money equals security and safety and everything around us in our culture says if you have more money, you will feel safe. You will not be threatened. Life will go easy for you. You'll be one of the chosen. And this is saying be content with what you have. Don't chase after the buck. Because it causes you to worry. And then you find the very end of the passage there saying like, what do you have to worry about, everyone? Isn't the Lord your helper? Do you have to really be afraid? No, you don't. What can anyone do to you who has God? Four instructions. Hospitality to strangers. Live as though you're in prison and torture for your faith. Keep marriage holy. And money... um, And be content with what you have, with the money you have. Now, which one of the four is the most challenging to you? (laughs) Which one is the most offensive? Because this is an equal offensive, equal opportunity offensive passage, I think, in our culture. It's pretty edgy. It's pretty much on you. This is not something where you can say, like, well, it's just a nice suggestion that we might want to love and take care of strangers. Let's say, no, 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 this is what you'll do. Do you feel it? Divorcees in the room. Do you feel the affront here about how you're supposed to hold marriage? You feeling condemned right now? Law enforcement, military. Are you feeling like these Christians are being kind towards lawbreakers? That the government's doing everything it can to get rid of lawbreakers and here's these Christians are supposed to be taking care of them? Are you offended? And, and what about uh, being kind towards strangers? 
Is this somehow talking about immigrants and refugees and this sort of thing? What about money? Should we downsize? Should you get rid of everything but one car and not take a vacation and give all the rest of the money to the poor? Should you live simply? See, there's something uncomfortable here for everyone. It's just an equally offensive passage. So if you're not into this, then if you're not sitting there with your arms folded and your brow furrowed and kind of giving me the, you know, stink eye on the whole thing, you know, either you're not taking the word of God seriously here or you're Amish and you're already doing all this sort of thing. You know, or maybe, and I, I, maybe you're just thinking this, you know, Dan, I don't have any problem with the Bible. It's you I have a problem with. You didn't have to make it this edgy and this sort of, what got under your skin on this? And I have to tell you, I've gotten pretty self-aware over the years, and I've realized, that's a, mark me on this, okay, I've gotten pretty consistent over the years that every time I start talking about Christian love, I get all rare, you know? I, I do because I think Christian, I think love gets watered down so much, and Christian love is so costly. Okay, so just so we get this done, Here's the unoffensive version of the text. Be hospitable to others. Have some folks over that usually don't associate with, just kind of not really too far. Grill out a little bit and play some board games. And all shucks, come on, people, smile on your brother. Everyone get together and try to love one another right now. Okay, can we all go home now? Is that good? Love, love, love. And then the Beatles broke up. That's all you need. What happened? That love doesn't work, everyone. I can't do that. You can't do it. 50 years ago, the original 1967 Summer of Love in San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury District, all those idealistic young hippies experimenting with drugs, sex, and rock and roll was founded on one deep overriding value that you and I hold very dear in this country we call America. And that value is freedom. Freedom! It's that freedom, everybody. Everything drives freedom in our country. It's in our Constitution. We're going to celebrate it next week when we talk about whatever King George III needed to hear about in that Declaration of Independence. Freedom, everyone. Freedom drives everything. Freedom says you can hook up with whoever you want. Freedom says you can keep the government out of your wallet. Freedom says you don't have to accept everybody in this country. You can say no to protect our American dream. Freedom, freedom, freedom. But, and you knew that was coming, Christian love is not based on freedom. Christian love is based on the cross of Jesus Christ. Christian love goes to the cross and it dies for other people. Christian love participates in the struggles of others and that's why God came as Jesus Christ to be with you and me. People with messed up marriages, messed up finances, messed up neighborhoods, messed up lives. That's Christian love. It cuts right through politics, constitutions, and cultures, and ethnicity. Strugglers are who it came for. Do you hear the Bible text reaching down to those who struggle? Do you hear the Bible instructing the church to do something radical, something moral, something upright? Strangers, prisoners, marriage, and money. 
All of it is a radical call to a radical love. And it is an affront to our notion of personal private freedom in our society. More so than it was back in the Roman time. Christian love, everyone, costs. It goes beyond politics and it goes way beyond freedom. I want to show you a photograph that I received here about a year or so ago uh, of our friend, Pastor John Wood. Pastor John Wood is the one with his hand up in the back smiling. Perhaps you remember him. He's been here a few times to preach and to share the ministry of what's going on in China. Pastor John uh, is native-born Chinese. When he was 18 uh, in Tiananmen Square, he walked up to an American tourist and he asked her to say, and, he, and this is 1979, by the way, is just the advent of um, the opening up of China. As a radical young college man, uh, John walked up to an American lady who got off a bus and said, tell me about democracy, and she handed him a gospel of John. And he became a Christian. And he spent his entire life going back to China preaching the gospel. In this particular photo, he's probably over the border into Myanmar. War-torn, Civil War, Myanmar, okay? Because for the last few years, Pastor John has been taking food and medical supplies and books and book bags and school supplies secretly, illegally, across from China into Myanmar and helping the refugees of the war, mostly children who have not had school for at least 14 years and have no food. That's what he's been doing. A few months ago, the Chinese government arrested John. He is in prison for his faith, for living out this radical love. He's been in prison for the last six months, and in China, whether you know it or not, you have to petition uh, in order to have a court trial. So next week, when you're celebrating the 4th of July, you can celebrate the fact that you have habeas corpus due process, because in China, you do not. Recently, his petition for a court trial, just to go to trial, was denied. He's still sitting in prison. That's what he's been doing. So last month I was sitting up in the Basilica at Conception Abbey up near Maryville in the middle of the afternoon and I was praying for John. And this word came to me without puffing myself up here or anything like that, but this is what it said from the Lord. Freedom will come to John, but you need to pray, holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John will be free, but you... And others need to pray, holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I thought, okay, God, I can pray that. It's right out of Revelations chapter 4. I get it. It's what's going on in heaven right now around the throne of God. So you guys need a break right now, so help me pray this. Let's all stand up. This is your break for the moment, then you'll get to sit back down. Let us pray together. Say this together. Is it up on the screen? Amen, it is. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Very well. Have a seat. May John become free. May we participate with him in his prison and in his torture. Because the last thing I heard about John was that his 80-year-old mother came down from his hometown and got to look at John, who stood there in handcuffs, unable to speak to his own mother, while his mother just looked at him to see that he was okay.
what will we do about Pastor John Wood? We will pray and we'll continue to give our money and support the house church in China. And we don't care about governments. See, John is one of these unusual characters, Pastor John. He's not some soft, squishy person. He's rough around the edges. He's a bulldog. He, he's one of these type of Christians that is, jumps, you know, and then starts checking for the parachute. You know what I'm saying? He's one of these kind of people. Uh, Pastor Garrett and I both shared this story, but one, because John told us this story when he was here one time. He says, a young American man, young man, came up to John and said, would you disciple me? I want to learn how to be a serious Christian. And um, he said, okay, I'll disciple you, young man. First off, stop buying those expensive ball caps with those famous logos and those sports teams that you like so much and stuff. They're way too much money. They're too expensive. Next, Stop eating fast food. You're overweight and fast food costs too much. Finally, get a better job and move out of your mother's basement. Do that and I might start discipling you. Hey man, like where's all the, now God has a wonderful plan for your life and I've got some other spiritual laws here and all the sort of doctrinal belief. It was very practical, in your face stuff. Start acting like you're following Jesus, like you care about somebody else other than yourself. That begins the Christian journey. Pastor John Wood reminds me of John the Baptist who was in prison when Jesus' ministry got going. Which, by the way, just so you know, and I bring this up for a very good point, today, June 25th, is John the Baptist is celebrated in the church worldwide. June 25th is John the Baptist Day. Did you know that? Do you have any idea about why June 25th would be John the Baptist Day? Think about it, all you Bible nerds. Why June 25th? What's Jesus' birthday? December 25th. Six months exactly opposite of Jesus is John the Baptist's birthday. Why? Because John said, He, Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. And that's why today, June 25th, is John the Baptist's day on his way down to being beheaded, by the way. But I think John was a bulldog like Pastor John Wood. John the Baptist and John Wood are the same. And while John the Baptist is in prison, he sends word to Jesus, are you really the Messiah that we've all been looking for? <laughs> like, you don't look like the Messiah. And Jesus answers them. He says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news brought to them. Blessed is anyone who does not take offense at me, John. And then he turned to the crowd, people like you and me, and Jesus said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? What did you go out to look at? A reed shaking in the wind? Some little buzzing, rattling blowing in the grass, some whisper of the breeze with John. No, I tell you a prophet, not somebody who's in a palace with fine robes, some softy, squishy guy. You went out to see John, 
who's going to tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it, just like Hebrews 13 is doing, just like Pastor John Wood would have you do. That's Christian love. That's hospitality. And so now I ask you, Lakeland, what do you think love requires of us? Hospitality requires us to go to places like Africa and China and all around to our inner city. It asks us to go and be with those who aren't as well off as us. It asks us to give up things like freedom to hook up with whoever we want, to keep marriage as a precious commodity that is so rare today. It asks us to help people that we do not trust even, refugees and strangers, to do something about our uh, those who have less. And that's why this church does these financial challenges all the time. That's why we have so many ministries going on around here that get this sort of thing done. And there is more to be done. This is why we come alongside those who are trying to get out of the sex trade. This is why we do something about uh, down at, at Linwood. This is why we do something about our own community here with Prodeo, with the youth in our own neighborhood. On and on and on including the house church in China. This is what we do. Perhaps God is calling you to go. Just this week, I had a man ask me, he said, do you want to go to Nigeria? And in my good chicken way, I said my first response to him was not like, oh yes, thank you Lord for offering me this opportunity to go to Nigeria. Instead, you know, instead of what I should have said, this is what I actually said. Hey, is it safe over there or am I thinking of like Ethiopia or South Sudan? Fail. Failed answer. I'm checking my personal safety before following somebody who would say, we need help in Nigeria. Okay. I heard. I learned the lesson. What's God asking you to do? Something so simple as the new people on the street that nobody said hi to yet? Welcome the stranger? Is it really that simple? Going to lunch with somebody at work that nobody else goes to lunch with? Maybe it's you that don't go to lunch with anybody and you need to actually go to lunch with some other people. Joining a small group? What is it that, that will cause you to push the edge of hospitality and of Christian love? That's just the easy stuff. What is God asking us to do? Christian hospitality, everyone, is not being nice to people you would have already been nice to. That's just being human. That's not Christian. Anybody can do that. No, Christian hospitality is a throwdown challenge to live an entirely different life, countercultural to the normal moral order of things these days. To subvert your own freedom for the sake of somebody else. That's what that cross symbolizes over there. And this is what will change the world, Christian love. It isn't so much all of our words. It isn't our cool, slick evangelism program. It isn't all of our neat stuff like that. It's just you loving somebody else. You are the gospel that somebody's going to hear. You are the next best Jesus, the next best Bible someone's going to hear. Think about how you behave. That's what Hebrews 13 is talking about. Sit up straighter and clean it up. Get, get prepared. 
It's not just about being moral. It's about being a world changer. That's what this is going, this is what Christian love's all about. This is what we're trying to get done. I'll offer this up to you. It's a little poem called I Stand by the Door. And I hadn't thought about it for a long time. And worship director Chris Lee, Chris Lee said, uh, hey, this sounds like uh, I stand by the door. And I said, oh, man, I haven't heard I stand by the door forever. And maybe you've never heard it. And so, because I haven't heard it for a long time. So I'm going to read it to you. It was written a long, long time ago. And it's one of the first things I heard as a 16-year-old as a Christian. And I still remember it to this day. So here it is. I stand by the door. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world, and it's the door through which men and women walk when they want to find God. There's no use in my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside, and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind beggars with outstretched groping hands, feeling for the door, knowing that there must be a door, and yet they never find it, and so I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world for men and women is to find that door, the door to God. And the most important thing any person can do is to take hold of the one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens for the one Who touches it? And so many die outside that door as starved beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for what was within their grasp. But nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find God. And so I stand by the door. Go in, great saints. Go in all the way. Go all the way down to the cavernous cellars, the way up to the spacious attic, and in the vast and roomy house where God is. Go into the deepest casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call out to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deep look inside. Sometimes I venture a little bit further in. But my place seems to be closer to the opening. So I stand at the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget who got them there in the first place. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet found the door. You can go in too deeply and stay too long and forget all about the people who are outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him. And to know he's there, but not so far in from men and women as to not hear them and remember that they are there too, looking for the door. Where? Outside. Thousands and millions of them. But more importantly for me, one, two, ten, whose hands I intend to put on the latch. And so I stand at the door and I wait for those who seek it. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper So I stand at the door. I stand at the door. By Samuel Moore Shoemaker. Hospitality is asking us to stand at the door. Not all the way in. Not all the way out. And help other people find their way in. That's your calling. That's Christian love. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. This is our mandate. 
this is what we're supposed to be all about. If the communion servers want to come forward, it'd be great. Would you stand with me, please, as we call ourselves to the table? You know, this table that we come to, this bread, this cup, the one loaf, the one cup, are symbolic of this covenant of God. It binds us to Christ every time we do it. It binds us together in unity as one. If you don't believe this, that's fine. This is Lakeland. You're free to stay. We think this is really valuable for us, but if it's not where you're at, you're totally fine at Lakeland to stay in your seat. We understand. We've all been there. But for us, this defines who we are. Would you pray for Pastor John with me one more time? Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in the blood, in my blood. So as often as you drink it, in, my, in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now let us pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And therefore, everyone, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Jesus Christ be as real to us as his food and drink. Come forward whenever you're ready. Tear off a piece of the bread. Dip it in the chalice. Consume it right there and return to your seat in prayer. Amen. Well, let's do the Northumbria Celtic blessing that we love so much. And if you don't love it, we're going to keep pounding into your brain until you do love it. So, everyone all together, hold your hands open like you're receiving something from God. Join me. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.